0: Now is the time as we turn to the preaching of God's Word. That here we are here to hear the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins. That is the chief duty that we gather together as we worship the Lord today. That God proclaims to us His law and His gospel. And He gives it to us through servants like myself to tell us of the good news. That we are simply... I am simply a messenger, and you are the recipients of this message. We are all recipients of this good news today. So that is what we are going to do as we hear the preaching of God's Word this morning. Our text this morning comes from Psalm 32 that we just sung. And if you would turn with me, if you would like to follow along in your Bibles to Psalm 32, I will read it for us, and then we'll pray and ask God's blessing on the preaching of His Word. Hear now the Word of the Lord. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked." But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. Let us call upon the Lord and ask Him to bless us. Our Father in heaven, we come to you now and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. Lord, it is only you who can give life As Paul said, Apollos waters, Paul waters, Apollos plants, but Lord, it is you who gives the growth. And we depend upon you now, Lord, to cause your word to grow in our hearts, that we would receive it with faith, and that it would grow up into love, that we would live lives before you in this world of love. So Father, work what is pleasing in your sight in us now. Give grace to me as I proclaim your word. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This text before us is one about forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin. And we live in a culture, in a society where forgiveness is sorely lacking. We live in a society that is surrounded now by unforgiveness. And you know the phrase, cancel culture. That people are afraid of being canceled, that now their sins are dragged out before them before a watching, waiting world, and they are paraded before the world, and then you are sidelined and cast off forever. No longer they're able to participate in society in a way that is normal, that you are now marked. There is no forgiveness that people say it's okay, we understand that this person has done wrong. We are all those who have done wrong, and surely, if our private sins were brought before the public, we all would be cast off. We know this in our society, that we live in a world of unforgiveness, or that the forgiveness that we do receive is temporary, or it's fleeting, that people's forgiveness of us feels like it's held with one hand behind their back, wondering, do they really love us? Are they going to persist with me? And not remember my sins as I live in a relationship with them. But here this morning our text to us proclaims forgiveness. And it begins with blessing. That blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. And we will look at this passage of what God does for us. But also what our response is to be to God. And how do we confess our sins to God? How do we admit our wrongdoing? How do we receive the forgiveness of sins from God? And we'll look at this text in three different ways this morning of the forgiveness of sins. We'll see the blessing of forgiveness. We'll see the burden of sin. And then lastly, we'll see the way of repentance. I tried to be creative and get three B's, the blessing, the burden, but unfortunately, I did not get all the way. So the way of repentance is our third point this morning. But first, the blessing of forgiveness. This is a unique psalm in the way that it begins. Usually these psalms of lament or a psalm of confession of sin don't begin with a pronouncement of blessing. Now, why would David begin his psalm this way? Why would he begin with pronouncing blessing? I think David is keenly aware, just as we are, that we're not prone to confess our sin. We know very well that we should confess. We know when we've done wrong, when God's law comes to us or when somebody reveals to us what wrong we've done, but we don't want to confess it. The reason we don't want to confess our sins and admit that we're wrong to God is because we're afraid we'll be judged, or as scripture teaches us, that we'll be cursed. We know that also by admitting our wrongdoing, that we actually have to forsake those sins. If we're saying this was wrong, we're also admitting that we should not do those things again. And so we don't confess. We harbor this. We are afraid of judgment. We're afraid of leaving our sins. But David begins this psalm by proclaiming to us a great blessing. It's as if He's telling us before we ever enter into the process of confession that there is blessing waiting for you, for those who confess their sins to the Lord. That before you ever begin the process of repentance, God announces to you that there is blessing. And this teaches us that no man, none of us, will come willingly before God unless we first see in Him mercy, unless we first see in God grace. Repentance does not ultimately begin with a revelation of our sin. Repentance actually begins with the revelation of God's mercy to us. That God says, I am calling you to repent of your sin because I want to bless you. I want to wipe away your sin." And so David robs us at the very beginning of our chief complaint, of our chief reason that we begin, that we will be cursed for why we don't confess. He says, brothers and sisters, you confess your sins because there is blessing waiting for you on the other side. You cannot run and hide from God because God is ready to bless those who repent. And then David describes what forgiveness looks like. There's two ways. The first way is that the blessing of sins is that they're covered. There are many ways that scripture speaks of forgiveness. And the first way here is a covering. And this word is about hiding. It's about hiding something from people's sight. Our sin is something that we try and hide. We keep them hidden from others so that they can't see them. And in one sense, we do this rightly so. We don't want our sins to be known because it will change those relationships. And so in one sense, we hide them. We keep them away. We don't want them uncovered. We don't want others uncovering our sins. We certainly are not going to do it ourselves. And I remember a time when I was five years old where this became acutely aware to me of what it means to hide your sins. We were at the store with My brothers, I have two older brothers and my dad were at the at the hardware store, and then when you go in the checkout line, there's all the candies and gums. And me, my sinful five year old self decided to grab a pack of gum. I did not tell my father, and we got home that day and I hid it. I kept my sin covered. We got home that day and I thought, How am I going to chew this gum without my parents knowing? And like a five-year-old, I came up with a very creative way. I decided to crawl under my bed and proceed to chew the entire pack of gum. Now, my parents know me. I was an, a noisy, boisterous kid at five years old. And so they knew when I'm missing for several minutes that Nate, what's Nate up to? Something is not right here. So they go looking for me. They send one of my brothers, and he comes and tries to find me. And he's like, I can't find him. He looks in the room, but I sneakily tuck all the way back under the bed next to the wall. Then my mom comes in and she looks for me and she says, Nate, where are you? And she looks under the bed and there I am with my wrappers of gum strewn out before me. And she says, what are you doing? Where did you get that gum? And with a mouthful of gum, I didn't say anything. I was uncovered, even though I was hiding under a bed. My sin was exposed. Now my dad, rightfully displeased with me, took me back to the hardware store and I brought back The pack of gum, and I admitted my wrongdoing, which was not a fun experience, but I have not stolen a pack of gum again. The Lord used that in my life. But it was that moment that I realized that you cannot hide your sin. That God sees our sin. We cannot hide them. But here, forgiveness is proclaimed to us that God is the one who covers our sin. That forgiveness is a covering of them. Ultimately, our sins are all known before God. And God says, no, I am the one who will cover your sin. You cannot hide them. They will all be exposed, just like a five-year-old chewing gum under his bed. As ingenious as he thinks he is, as smart as he thinks he is, trying to hide them. That is how we are with our sin. We think we can hide them from the Lord. And he says, no, it's foolish. You can't hide your sins from me. There's only one who can ultimately cover those sins, and it is ultimately through the blood of Jesus that those sins can be covered, as we will see later this morning. But he also describes it a second way. He says that the blessing is a clear record. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. This is an economic term or a legal term as well, where somebody's record is cleared Their sins no longer count against them. If you've ever been in trouble with the law, Lord willing, you haven't. But if you have, you have your counts against you. What is the record against you? Well, you may have several counts of a crime that you have committed. And what this is saying is that God no longer sees them. He no longer counts them against you. During my internship, I had signed up to be uh, an intern in the jail as a chaplain with the pastor I was serving under. Now, when I was 17 years old, my friends and I had a silly idea that I don't recommend young people to uh, reproduce this action, but we went around town throwing water balloons at pedestrians, and it was a very foolish thing to do. And we got caught and surrounded by seven police cars, and I got handcuffed and thrown in a cop car. Now, thankfully, they let me off fairly easy and wrote me a curfew violation, which meant I was simply out later than the police said I could be and that attended a $50 fine. But I paid the fine, and I thought, okay, that was 17 years old, which was over 20 years ago for me. Now, I'm serving at filling out the background check documentation for this chaplaincy, and it says, have you ever committed a crime or been convicted of a misdemeanor or a felony. Well, a, a curfew violation is a misdemeanor. And I thought, I cannot believe, here it is 20 years later, and this record is coming back. This count is coming back to me, that I have to write this down. Now, I talked with the people at the jail, and they said, that's not a big deal. We, we're not concerned something like that. But I still had to fill out the documentation, ask the, the city court of San Diego to send any documentation they had. Well, thankfully, I sent that information, and they sent a piece of paper back to me. And they said, after a certain amount of time, those records of wrongs are cleared. Now, it was a very simple violation, but I was really happy when I saw there's no record of it. They have no record of my transgression. And I could present that as something clear before the court, before the police, to say, I have nothing in my record that says I cannot do this job. And this is exactly what the Lord does with us. He not only covers our sin, he gets rid of them completely. He no longer counts them against us. He says, Your record is clean. That the Lord no longer deals with us on the basis of our sins. But then the psalmist goes on. He says, Blessed is the man in whom there's in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, when I first read this passage, I was confused. How can somebody who is confessing their sin also be considered a person who is not deceitful? They're a deceitful person. They've clearly been lying about their sin. They've been hiding it. What is David getting at here by saying, blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit? Well, this is somebody whose heart is seeking integrity. When we seek to confess our sins, it's actually a move of integrity. It's not showing that you've always had a heart of integrity, but it's showing that now you are performing the chief acts of integrity. Confessing your sin is no longer being deceitful. It's no longer hiding your sin. It is exposing them. It's bringing them into the light. Instead of the man or woman, boy or girl, confessing their sin, they're actually revealing the integrity of their heart. They desire the truth. They desire the truth to be known. The truth about what they are, what they have done, they're saying to the Lord, Lord, know that this is who I am. I am no longer living in a life of deception, of hiding, that I want my life to be known before the Lord. And it is that person that David declares is blessed. So, this is the blessing of forgiveness that David holds out to us this morning. But he also shows when we confess our sins, that there is a burden that we bear. And our second point this morning, the burden of sin. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And we know this. You know what it's like to have a burdened conscience, an afflicted conscience, where you know what your sin is and you can't sleep at night. It goes with you. You go through your day and people ask you and talk to you and you say, excuse me, sorry, and your mind is reflecting back on that particular sin in your life. And this is how David describes it here. For I kept silent, my bones wasted away. His body is rotting. This is what unconfessed sin is like in our hearts. It rots us away from the inside out. It is anguish. It makes all of life painful. We do not enjoy life when we know that we have sin in our lives. But listen to how David describes it. He says, For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. He attributes his discomfort, his affliction, to the Lord. He says, Lord, this was your doing. You were the one who was causing me all of this anguish. And that is good. That we need to learn to recognize when we have this anguish of heart in our lives over our sin. That this is the Lord working in our lives. That suffering for our sin is not a bad thing. It's the right thing. And this is the Lord pressing down upon David. To get him to confess his sin. He's getting David. And he gets us to say. This is not how your life is supposed to be. This is not how my life is supposed to be. And it's the loving hand of God. Keeping alive in us his truth. He's keeping the truth about ourselves alive. And this is the chief mark of the unbeliever, is they have no consciousness of their sin. There is no anguish. There is no pain. They spend their lives thinking that their sin is actually good. They are careless about their sin. There is no anguish. And that is the dangerous place that we can end up in, as we will see in a moment. But is the Lord pressing you today? Is there things in your life where you know you have this anguish, this rottenness in you? The Lord is working in your heart. That's a good sign that God is working in you. Don't run from it. Don't try and alleviate it yourself. Bring it to the Lord. This is his purpose of doing this in your life. But David shows us the remedy. He shows us the way to relief, to true relief, to final relief from these sins. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The first thing he does is he acknowledges it. He admits that what he has done is sin. He no longer deceives himself about it. He doesn't say, well, it's, it's not, it was okay. Maybe there was some good things in the sin that I did. He doesn't equivocate it. He doesn't downplay his sin. He acknowledges it. It was wrong. He doesn't blame anybody else. Well, because of what my neighbor did to me or what my spouse or my child or my brother or sister or my coworker did to me then that's why I did this so i'm justified he doesn't blame anybody else he owns it for himself he also doesn't embellish it he doesn't say my sin is the worst sin in the world and god can't forgive me of this he just simply says i confess my transgression to the lord lord i'm wrong I'm a sinner. And this is what a true confession does. Is it states what sin truly is. It states it for what it is. It says, this is what I've done. But more than that, true confession seeks to be rid of the sin. It doesn't harbor in its heart this desire to return back to the very sins that they're confessing to the Lord. It does not simply want our memory to be clean, that our conscience would be clean before the Lord, that he has wiped away our sin. It's also saying, I don't want this sin in my life. I don't want to return to it. And that is why we confess it to the Lord. But he also says that he doesn't cover it. It's that same word that that David describes about what God does. He says, I am no longer going to cover my sin. Because ultimately he knows, he has learned that his sins he cannot keep covered. And that is the deceit of sin. It makes us think that we can hide our sins from the Lord. But God will uncover them. And David realized, I must reveal my heart to the Lord. Not only because... He already sees them, but because they will be revealed in the end, ultimately. But David knows if I confess them, they will be wiped away. And listen to what David says I will confess, and you forgave the iniquity, the guilt of my sin. It's no longer there, it's gone. That sin that weighs upon our conscience is gone when we confess it to the Lord. The Lord doesn't see it. He's covered it. He's hid it. He's gotten rid of the record. And that is what David proclaims. But David doesn't end there. He does not end there. He knows our hearts because he knows his own heart. He's describing his own process of repentance That repentance doesn't simply end with a confession of sin and the receiving of God's pardon. And so he instructs us about the way that we should go, the way of repentance. This is our third point this morning, the way of repentance. And there's three things that he tells us. First, he tells us, don't wait to confess your sins. Do not wait to repent. Repent. He issues this warning. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. There is a time when the Lord will no longer be able to be found. A day is coming when you cannot repent. A day may be coming in your life when you can no longer repent. Repent. Where you have held on to that sin, you have forsaken the Lord. That a day will come when you can no longer repent of those sins. And that is the deception of sin. Sin deceives us to make us think there is more time. There is more time that I can wait to confess this to the Lord. I'll do this tomorrow, I'll do this this evening. I'll do this next month. I'll do it when I'm old. But David says, there's a day when the Lord may no longer be found. So let everyone who is godly go to him now. Do not wait. And he describes this day when we no longer may be found like a rush of many waters. And water in the Old Testament is often a sign of judgment being poured down upon the world. Think of Noah and the flood, a rush of many waters coming upon the earth to judge it for their sin. I don't know if you've ever been at a waterfall before and heard the roar of a waterfall and been at the bottom looking up, and it is loud. I grew up in Oregon, and there's many waterfalls in Oregon, and standing at the bottom one, it's very loud. You imagine Niagara Falls being at the bottom there, And trying to call out to somebody at the top of the waterfall. Save me. They won't hear you. Your sound, your cries will be drowned out. And that is the day of judgment that is coming. When the rush of many waters will come. And your cries for forgiveness will not be heard. That day is coming. But that day is not Today, today is a time of repentance. Today is a time when you can turn to the Lord and confess to him your sins. Offer a prayer to the Lord at a time when he may be found. The Lord can be found now, in this moment, in this day, he can be found. God has withheld his judgment. He has not poured out his judgment yet upon us. And David calls him his hiding place. That instead of being open and exposed to this day of judgment that is coming, David says, I can hide in the Lord, the very one whom I am fleeing from. I can hide in him. I can find refuge. I can find safety in the Lord. And not only take refuge in him, but we can be delivered from this wrath to come. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So, the first thing of repentance is to not go, to not wait, to do it right away, to go to the Lord. But the second thing is don't go back to those sins. It says, therefore, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle or will not stay near you. See, repentance is not only an admission of wrongdoing. It is more than that. And this is how our shorter catechism describes it. So hear with me what our shorter catechism says. It says, what is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin an apprehension or grasping the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Simply put, repentance is seeing our sin for what it is, receiving the mercy of God, turning from our sin and turning to the Lord. Turning from our sin and turning to the Lord to live before him. And God does not leave, his, leave us to ourselves. He doesn't just simply say, your sin's forgiven, now go on your weary way, as if there's nothing left in your life you need to be responsible for. He gives us instruction. He tells us the way we should go. Ultimately, don't fall back into that very sin you just confessed. That is the example that David gives to us of a horse or a mule with a bit and a bridle. If you're riding an animal, and you want it to go a certain direction, you have to use this mechanism to steer it. It does not know the way to go. It does not intuit the direction you want it to go. He wants you to learn the way to go from your heart. A beast doesn't understand why it should avoid certain things. It knows it should avoid snakes and animals, but it doesn't know the way to go. He's saying, don't be like this, that you just simply go right back into the ditch that you just got out of. And we know what this is like. We fall back into the same sins. And here he gives us the instruction. Don't go back to them. Flee from them. When you confess your sins to the Lord... Understand that it's those things that you need to turn away from. But the last thing that he holds out to us in this passage, the way of repentance, is that there is great joy. He begins this way. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. What a strange thing that he says that the righteous are the ones who confess. The righteous are the ones who trust in the Lord. The righteous are the ones who repent. Even the righteous must confess their sin because ultimately we don't have any righteousness in ourselves. He says that the wicked themselves are filled with sorrow. Sin is an insatiable, bottomless pit. It can never ultimately be satisfied. And the wicked are filled with the sorrow of continually trying to fill that desire. It promises joy, but it never delivers ultimately on that promise. It gives a temporary fleeting joy, but then it's gone. And the wicked never learn. They don't seek the Lord They don't confess their sins to the Lord. And they continually run back to the same sins. But they're left emptier and emptier. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he holds out joy. Hope for the righteous. But there's something interesting about this psalm. This psalm is picked up in the New Testament, by the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 4. And he sees something going on in this psalm that I hope that we can see this morning as well. In Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, Paul is speaking of the imputation, the gift, the reckoning of righteousness to believers. And I'll read Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 8 for us to see how See what Paul is seeing in this passage. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of this blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness, a part works Blessed is the one blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered blessed is the man against whom the lord will not count his sin Paul sees here not just the removal of sin in this passage he sees the blessing of righteousness in this passage David also speaks of the blessing Of the one to whom God counts righteousness. It's not simply the cleansing of sin that is happening in this psalm, it is the gift of righteousness. And it's right here in this psalm that Paul sees it is the heart of justification by faith alone that we stand righteous right before God on the basis of Jesus Christ's obedience alone. And Paul sees that here. How can a righteous person confess their sins? How can a righteous person admit that they have fault? Well, they can't ultimately. In truth, there's no one righteous, not one, as Paul tells us. But standing before God is not only one of having a clean slate. One of saying, I have a record of no wrongdoing. That is not the only way that we need to stand before God. We certainly need to have all of our sins cleared away and done away with. It's more than that. It's that you have to stand righteous. You have to stand perfect. When the Lord sees your record... That he sees not just simply that you did not do the wrong thing. But that you actually did the right thing. And this is the astonishing thing that Paul sees in this passage. And it is the hope for all of us this morning. Is that when God looks at us. And he forgives our sins. He does not simply Do away with our sin. But he gives us the righteousness of Christ. He says, I see obedience. Think of it. Think of your sin. You look back on those sins and you think to yourself, I wish that could be undone. I wish that in that moment I would have done the right thing. I wish I would have loved that person. I wish I would have spoken kindly to them. I wish I would not have taken. I wish I would have treated them appropriately. And that is exactly what the Lord sees. He sees righteousness. He sees perfect obedience. He sees, yes, indeed, I see that you did it right. I see that. And that is the blessing for those whose sins are forgiven. They're blessed. They have something that they know in their heart. I don't have this. This is not from myself. God has counted it to me. He simply reckons that I stand before him perfect. And everything in my life that I've ever done wrong, God sees that I've done it right. See, the the amazing thing is God cannot ignore sin. He can't just pretend like it doesn't exist. He doesn't just wave a magic wand and it goes away. God must always count iniquity. He must always reckon with sin. But the amazing truth is that God has counted our sins on Jesus. All of them. Every single one of them. That when God looks at Jesus on the cross, he sees all of our sin, our entire lifetime of sin on Jesus Christ. And we receive from Jesus his perfect lifetime of obedience. And that is the greatest gift of all. That all of Jesus' righteousness is given to us as a gift and all of our sins is given to Jesus Christ. He gets the punishment and we get the blessing. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And when God looks at us, He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus, perfection. And that is the blessing for us. It cannot be added to, and it cannot be taken away from. It's there, all of it, for our full life. And that is why David begins this psalm by proclaiming to us, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. This is why we confess our sins to the Lord. This is why we repent. This is why we own them before God. Because God is holding out immense, tremendous blessing for us. And that is why the psalmist ultimately ends this way. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. That he can call us Sinners though we know ourselves to be, he can call us righteous. And he tells us what that response is. It's gladness. It's gladness. My sins are gone. God does not look at me and deal with me on the basis of my sin anymore. He's wiped them away. He deals with me on the basis of his son, Jesus Christ. I am his child. And he tells us what to do. He says to shout for joy. What a joy it is to have our sins forgiven. But that's how God deals with us now. That he loves us. That he cares for us. That he restores us. That he gives us the strength To live in obedience to him. From our hearts. To more and more repent. As Martin Luther says. All of life is one of repentance. Turning from our sin and turning to the Lord. So brothers and sisters today. Repent of your sins. But be glad in the salvation that God has provided for you. In Jesus Christ. Be glad in it. Rejoice. Shout for joy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do rejoice in the salvation that you have given to us. Or we are unworthy in ourselves for this great gift that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to repent and the sins in our lives that we know we need to turn from work by your Holy Spirit in our hearts to turn from them. Father, help us to live in obedience to you, to show by our lives that you are our God, that you are a loving God, a gracious and forgiving God. Lord, we can only do this by your Spirit. So work in us what's pleasing in your sight. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.